0: You can talk about film with a philosopher's zeal Or measure them all by box office appeal But for once in your life Be real! Welcome one and all to a movie reviewing, reappraising, and genre-hopping podcast on the Playlist Podcast Network. This, fine folks, is Be Real. My name's Chance Solomon pfeiffer and I'm Noah Ballard. We're back in action here, my friend. We took uh, some time away from, uh, from the main feed here, but
1: uh, I'm thrilled to see you and you're thinking on your feet in a new apartment. Yes, indeed. I'm at the standing desk here in the studio, as we've dubbed it, uh, about five blocks south from where we used to record.
0: You're either going to be 30% sharper due to circulatory system efficiency, or you're going to pass out halfway through the show.
1: Well, you edit out my passing out and then prop me back up and when we right. stumble through the majestic uh, semi-delirious, you can piece it back together.
0: So, my friend, things are, things are happening here in the, the late spring, early summer of 2021. Some
1: What's happening? Have I missed a... it?
0: <laughs> I think you've experienced it. People are, people are trying to do things with their lives as we... Which things? As, I don't know, move places, go outside... Um, Yeah, have you been to a restaurant? I have been to a restaurant, sure. not. You sat
1: inside? No. It's still a bridge too far.
0: No. Um, It's fine. It's fine. What I'm trying to say here in the most sweeping of terms is that, knock on wood, things might be on the uptick here, especially for movie theaters. Um, So Noah and I have elected, as theaters around the country are, again knock on wood, reopening, um, to do a whole show based around movies that hinge on movie theaters.
1: I think it's safe to say that neither of us have yet to go back to a movie theater. I
0: have I have been to a movie theater.
1: You went in person? I went. One of those <laughs> outdoor theaters?
0: No, I, I, I went to a press screening.
1: How was it? Did you feel comfortable? Was it like returning to your house of worship, as I am assuming it'll feel for me?
0: A little bit, I have to say that we're. I feel like we're gonna we're gonna couch our remarks and like trying not to be overly sentimental as we talk about movie theaters here. But this is a, a sentimental category, and I have to say, I saw a Quiet Place Part Two, a movie that I thought was fine, and the level of engagement that I was able to have with it was like, I'm just like behind my mask, like mumbling, like, where's this going to myself? And, you know, ta- see feeling all of these, you know, self-aggrandizing shots that John Krasinski is teeing up of himself and his literal family. And I'm like, there's <laughs> no way I get on this wavelength at home. I'm so glad to be back.
1: Incredible. Yeah. I've yet to go to a theater. I'm a little nervous too. Also, do I really want to go see a Quiet Place Two or Nobody? Maybe I'll wait till something decent but comes out.
0: What if you think it's fine? Then won't that have been a win?
1: I used to in another life, uh, at least twice a month go into a movie theater and think a movie was fine for 1750. Yeah. <laughs> but it's interesting because like it was always in the things I would do, no matter how old I was, from like being seven or eight years old to being in my early thirties. Like I would go to the movies twice a month like like clockwork if not more Mm -hmm. Uh, you know and I think this podcast too has sustained my movie going nature Um, but like I said it's a to me it is I think what other people get from being in the majesty of houses of worship like there's something cool about going to a movie theater in which the exhibitor themselves, like, cares about the experience, not only of sitting there watching a movie on the latest technology and the latest screen or whatever, but also the aesthetic of, like, you know, just how Martin Landau is describing the majestic, right. you know, this this palace to this particular medium. Uh, and I've certainly missed that. However, I fear, too, what I've been thinking about is that, and maybe you experienced this at your press screening, but... I'm also like not sure if I'm ready to be annoyed by other people in public. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So it's like, am I going to not enjoy it because someone like pulls up their cell phone or like starts chatting to their neighbor or starts wrestling a hard candy out of a, out of its wrapping, like whatever it happens to be. But maybe that, maybe that's better than just being annoyed by the quirks of my new apartment that I thought would be perfect and is just pretty good.
0: First of all, Werther's Fiends, just stay home. Stay um, home.
1: Netflix is for you. Yeah.
0: You hounds. Um, I want to touch on a few different things you said, but what I was thinking about in watching these movies, the place that uh, standalone theaters have in small towns and with the comparison to churches, architecturally, they're one of the only buildings in a small town that is sort of ath- aestheticized on the outside to um, represent or inflect the experience that you will have inside when you're there. And that's so rare in just like a run-of-the-mill American town, you know? I mean, I think it really says something about the, the thing that's supposed to be achieved at that theater, regardless of
1: like whether you are a cinephile Well, it's interesting, too, in a more urban setting like South Brooklyn, there have been a lot of old movie theaters, which were very prevalent throughout the 20th century, actually turned into churches because Mm -hmm. it's the same kind of setup. It's a huge audience and then a raised stage at the front. There you go. Uh, So I think that is interesting, too, to see how these spaces with these big awnings and these big marquees have kind of been reclaimed uh, and then some of the classic kind of theater venues like uh, king's theater by us has been totally remodeled to the way it used to look when they did frequently show films there
0: right yeah there's this sort of like um eternal peril and eternal restoration for theaters in america they're always just trying to get back to where they were 20 years ago yeah
1: that's so interesting too and there was like that spate there was like the spate of – in like the late 2008s, night it was right around the Great Recession, um, where a lot of big movie chains consolidated and a lot of like beloved art houses closed. And there was also like that – do you remember the marketing campaign for that Brady Stinellis, Paul Schrader um, with Lindsay Lohan? Canyons? The Canyons, yes, where, mm-hmm. like, the whole trailer was unused footage that didn't appear really in the movie. I don't think that was, like, shots of, like, derelict-looking, mo- like, strip mall movie theaters being like, don't yeah. you remember going to see movies in the theater? It's dead, man. <laughs> and it's like, Wow. So there is something interesting too about there being kind of every 10 years or so this reckoning for does the theatrical experience like have a place in contemporary society? And, you know, there's been enough think pieces written in the past two weeks about oh my God. what this means for the movie industry. Um, we'll see. I maintain what I think I've maintained throughout this podcast, regardless of the state of the pandemic or world that like, make good movies and people will go to the theaters to see them.
0: He's always said it, and I've always stood up and cheered when he does. Um, so no, I think sort of incidentally, when I think about the three movies we picked today in this larger uh subgenre of movie theater movies, I think there are three sub You have the movie theater as a portal to or from a movie. There's a lot of movies like that. You have a movie theater as like setting, half setting, or ambiance. And then you have movie theater as plot point. And so we're going to talk Last Action Hero in the Portal subcategory. We're going to talk The Majestic in setting slash ambiance. And we're going to talk about The Blob in terms of movie theater as plot point. There are a lot of others that Frankly could have gone in any one of these categories And we could have selected today I I, I won't even talk about what my regrets Might be but let's talk about Some of the movies that uh, We're not discussing um, Anything you want to shout out at the top
1: I think the big example That we didn't cover That comes to my mind Is the Woody Allen film The Purple Rose of Cairo mm-hmm. in with, Which Jeff Daniels pops out of the screen Yeah it's an early sort of star turn for him. Uh, a pretty charming movie, if I remember correctly, uh, in the Woody Allen space. But it doesn't feel like the time to reappraise one of his films.
0: It does not. But um, but yeah, that would be... I The, uh, the original screenwriters of... Last Picture, no, not Last Picture Show, Last Action Hero, were like, we just want to do a reverse Purple Rose of Cairo, where the kid goes into the movie. And in uh, Purple Rose of Cairo, Mia Farrow is obsessed with this movie to the point that it, you know, it, it's the dream of being such a cinephile that you begin to interact on some literal level with the movie. A dream that goes all the way back to 1924 and Buster Keaton Sherlock Jr. He's a, uh, I mean, we've, we've been having these sort of, um, uh, Meta interactions with our media for as long since before the medium had sound. <laughs> it's about the Buster Keaton character uh, being like a lonely projectionist slash janitor at a movie theater, and he wants to be a detective, and he's trying to impress this girl. And for the last two thirds of the movie, his his passion and his fantasy so overtakes him that he falls asleep in the projection booth and dreams himself right into the movie. So it's so funny to be like, I don't know what number post postmodern we're on, but We've been having the same dream since nineteen twenty four. Um, we wanted to keep our powder dry on inglorious bastards, but that could have been in this category as well. Um, I mean, that's quite a that's quite a climax. It it a lot of these be- options that we have, including um, Peter Bogdanovich's first movie, Targets, um, the the indie slasher Blood Theater. Um, uh, the opening killing at the beginning of Scream Two kind of made me think about how, you know, the, the dark side of going back to public spaces is what happens to Americans in public <laughs> gathering spaces, um, and it can be uh, r- uh, rather, rather violent and rather destructive. Um, and Targets is one of the scary. It's like a I think it's based on like the UT Austin shooter a little bit, and it's this sniper at a drive-in um, at the premiere of this Boris Karloff movie. It's a great movie, but it's totally terrifying to watch. And when you think about maybe talking about it on a podcast, you're like, "Shit!" Going back to movie theaters means, um, you know, being in public in America. I hopefully it's not terrible. It's a risk
1: um, I'm willing to take.
0: I also want to talk about. You know, not everything is always uh, sunny and transcendental at a, at a movie theater. So I wanted to ask you, which experience would you m- least like to have in terms of bad movie moviegoers? Would you like to tell Max Cady in Cape Fear to stop eating his popcorn that way? Would you like to tell up <laughs> in The Last Dragon to stop throwing people into the aisle in the middle of enter the dragon or would you like to console george c scott at the end of hardcore when i think he sees his daughter in that paul schrader's uh, imaginary porn movie what do you think
1: i pick option d which is getting into an argument with robert de niro's uh, travis bickle about not having bees at the, or Chuckles at the fucking porno house In Times Square and Taxi Driver
0: <laughs> Thank you I'm glad we got to what it, So actually a lot of those options Were Schrader and Scorsese And De Niro related What's wrong with those guys? Why are they doing this to our movies? Can I have a Chuckles here? Uh, do you have any Jujubes? Uh, uh, they last longer I'd like to get some Jujubes what you see is what we got this is not an exhaustive list. If anybody wants to shout out their favorite movie theater movies, you can hit us up on Twitter, Be guys at gmail.com. I'm sure we've forgotten stuff and left stuff on the table. But for now, you ready to dive into our main three, Noah?
1: Last Action Hero, 1993. Yeah. With the help of a magic ticket, A young movie fan is transported into the fictional world of his favorite action movie character. It doesn't say this on IMDb, but colon Jack Slater.
0: I've got a Prosky ticket. Um, Robert Prosky owns the movie theater where this young boy, Danny, gets a Harry Houdini ticket that sucks him into the movie.
1: A great classic comes to the screen. Take thy hand, fair prince. Who said I'm fair? To be or not to be? Not to be. Columbia Pictures is proud to present the screen's greatest action hero, Jack Slater.
0: Don't even think it's Slater, you hear me? This is the Lieutenant
1: Governor. Slater, here's what I told If the Governor gets here, call me. And Danny Madigan is his biggest fan.
0: <laughs> Jack Slater 4.
1: But tonight, a magic ticket It's a passport to another world. will get Danny closer to the action than anyone ever dreamed.
0: I'm Danny Madigan, I'm a kid! And you're going with him. Who is this sport And where is that smile on his
1: face? I don't even know this kid. To a world that's bigger than life.
0: This ticket
1: is magic, and it really works. And better than real. You really believe that you're inside a movie, don't you? Yes! The bad guys are in there. I've seen it. On screen. Could I speak to the drug dealer of the house, please? Have a nice day. Have him killed. No, you've never seen Last Action Hero. I had frankly, I had didn't even know what it was. I had like heard the title used uh, as like a catch-all for like, I guess like self-aware action films, which is sure. what it is. Um, yeah. But I don't. I had never interacted with it, which is insane to me, considering that this is both John McTiernan, who is one of my problematic faves, and Shane Black.
0: I think it has taken a while to. Kind of outlive its its flop status It lost a bunch of money for the studio Critics didn't like it um, But it's a lot easier 27, 28 years later To, um, you know l- look. It's easier to look at all the movies That it's having fun with through rose-colored glasses I think if you were a critic Who had just sat through Commando and lethal weapon knockoffs for five years. Like this movie that is making fun of those things while also being them is is kind of like, this is, sure. I didn't need this on top of the heap. But nowadays I don't care.
1: Yeah, like but the, the pastiche that exists like retroactively as a, an artifact from like late 80s, early 90s totally. action movies, including making fun of movies that John McTiernan himself made. Like right. there's diehard jokes and there's the diehard like villain goes through the lens flare with like the bars from the Michael Kamen score to allude that much to it, which is I mean, that's that's the kind of Easter egg I dream of.
0: So yeah, let's kind of work our way through the plot here and jump in. So uh Danny Madigan is like this um kind of latchkey kid in in yes. New York City. Whose, whose mother works nights, single mother works nights as a waitress. Um, and you just get this you get I think you get some sort of like generational commentary here which again like whenever we're just like these kids in their screens, it's like we th- these theaters are dying. like we've been talking about this stuff for years. Like the first like four things Danny Madigan does in this movie is skip school to watch. Um, Jack Slater 3 at Robert Prosky's theater. He then goes to school where they're watching Laurence Olivier's Hamlet instead of teaching. And he comes home and watches cartoons. And then he listens to uh, rock on the radio while not doing his math homework. Like, I don't think it's an accident that this kid is just, you know, a media slave, basically.
1: Yeah, there's like this weird, like ready player oneness to this film. Where it's just like this guy go or this kid going through one hellscape after another just to you know uh, have media poured into his eyeballs. Um, yeah. and it's also funny because like this movie comes out and it definitely exists in what I'll call a Bigian New York City, uh, down to Mercedes Rule being the mom. She's of course the mob in the Tom Hanks movie Big. Um,
0: oh, I thought you were
1: saying. Like it was Biggie's New York. No, Big, like the film where Tom Hanks is the adult, but he's a kid. Big Uh, Ian, who could blame me for getting that one wrong? I I totally understand. Uh, Maybe Big (laughs) Ian's not going to catch on in the way that I initially hoped. Um, But what I'm saying is it portrays a New York that's like both completely safe and riddled with crime simultaneously. Yeah. So, of course, Danny like gets mugged, but like has nothing stolen. Right. You know, and he like gets into these horrible situations, uh, but nothing really happens. And I would say like the cold open into, well, the cold open is like a movie takeaway to remind you that this movie is going to transition into a movie movie in a little while. But I would say the first reel of this film is pretty long in establishing like the New York grittiness, but also doesn't do a ton of work in terms of establishing like the relationship between mother and son and the stakes here. It's really Mm. just this kid and this old man and this old man being like, remember the power of movies. And then (laughs) Danny being like, kill him, kill him, gun, kill him. (laughs) Danny appreciates the power of movies. Just some movies, some movies. He's a, he's really into action fare.
0: I think the main thing I have to say about this rundown theater in the middle of. Where in Manhattan do you suppose it's, oh, it's supposed Times to be? Oh, it's Times Square for sure. It's, it's in Times Square. Okay. Um, I like that it has. I like that Prosky has like the midnight perks. Like I've got the. I got to do the test run on Jack Slater 4 tomorrow at midnight. So come down for that. But it also. It kind of reminded me of like the. Growing up in Omaha, Nebraska, like the Dundee Theater before it was bought by film streams and it was really run down. And it was kind of like whoever was there basically owned the theater. Um,
1: (laughs) Whoever (laughs) was working that day.
0: Yeah. that's what it felt like. And that's like Danny, you know, watching Jack Slater three. It's just like, he, he doesn't, it feels like he's in charge. He's just like, the focus is off guys. Come
1: on. (laughs) Oh yeah. I would say in this genre, missing a reel, uh, missing the real change is like a big motif. Totally. How would you go
0: about parsing um, this movie in one of the, it's it's one of the trickier um, comedy slash earnest balances that we come back to over and over again on the shit. It's one of these half satires, and half satires get you into all sorts of weird trouble. How do you assess what uh, we're supposed to take seriously and what we're not?
1: Well, I think the, Ingenuity of the Shane Black script is that the movie makes very clear very quickly that there's movie world and there's real world and there can be like overlapping objects and people from these worlds. So when we are so when Danny's there, it's kind of like a cool first trick of, oh, we live in a world where the physics are kind of off and they kind of favor the good guy and like movie morality exists and there is something funny about that. But I would argue, and maybe this is to your point that it's hard to sustain fish out of water in a movie world without, I mean like for more than a like 20 minute sequence, whatever this is. Right. Um, And I think in that it's successful because it does land sort of the narrative stakes where you have like the Charles dance being the hired gun of these two rivaling mafia drug cartel families. Um, And you kind of know too, from the beginning, that dance is not, he like gets the, he gets that he's in a movie too. Like he's kind of a step of ahead of everyone. His performance
0: too is just like pitch perfect for this movie. He's having so much, so much fun. And then even with those
1: eyeballs, which like, a normal actor wouldn't be able to pull
0: off. Yeah, he's these decorative glass eyes, which, like, sort of change depending on his mood. He can pop them in and out.
1: I understand you're interested in drug dealers. Yes.
0: Jack, that's him, the henchman with a glass eye.
1: Sir, are you a henchman? No, I only go as far as lackey. Will there be anything else? Yeah, take off your sunglasses. Who's asking? The Tin Man. Well, Tin Man, suppose you hit the bricks. Nah, they're the wrong color. Are they? Oh, dear. By all means, let's change them. Would arterial red suit you? I
0: want to come back to this. The authorship of this movie is weird, though. So, Zach Penn and Adam Leff first write the script as, like, a pure spoof that was actually inspired by some Simpsons spoofs. Um, And they're kind of making fun of the Shane Black, John McTiernan, Canon, they get basically sidelined by the studio. The so the person brought in to write rewrite the script is Shane Black, which is bizarre. They're just like so then we watch this guy we we were kind of lovingly making fun of then sort of like write the script into a more basic action space and then McTiernan has like sort of the same odd issue of like am I making fun of myself here or am I like trying to do what I normally do? And then people brought in for punch-ups after that, uh, including, but not limited to Carrie Fisher and William Goldman, who I think is responsible for sort of the more, um, Houdini, uh, Willy Wonka style golden ticket, um, parts of the parts of the story, the more princess Bride parts of the story. Um, So that's just an insane number of people and sensibilities who took a run at this. But I think it was probably Shane Black who did one of my favorite things in this movie where Tom Noonan, who plays the Ripper, who's this crazy axe-wielding serial killer in the Jack Slater films, and then also uh, Charles Dance as Benedict, the, the, the British sharpshooter, their villain lines are so like dialed into both of those actors, correct personas. Like Tom Noonan's dialogue is very reminiscent of how he speaks in Manhunter. Yes. He's just, Arnold's like, I don't want to hurt you. And he's just like, hurt Jack. Did you say hurt? You put me in a cage for 10 years, Jack. Like it's such, um, it sounds very Noonan-esque. And then, dance's dialogue is also great where he's just like um i want you to hit the bricks like get out of here and arnold's like they're not the right color and charles dance is like do you prefer another color arterial red perhaps <laughs> the dialogue's really dialed in for the villains
1: no i totally agree and i think in those villains the movie kind of finds its its narrative way because i would say danny's pretty bad danny's the not great The kid's kind of annoying. Um, Schwarzenegger, I think, kind of takes it to an interesting level, especially when he's acting next to himself, which is pretty ingenious in 1993. Um, But yeah, I think when he realizes that he is... a movie character and then kind of tries on different hats. Like he tries to be like a good father figure to Danny with his mom in that one scene. And, but he kind of slips in and out of like, what does it all mean? Kind of depression, Mm -hmm. which I think is a, it's definitely a departure for Schwarzenegger who you like, he's always like single-minded a purpose of killing something. And when he gets that taken away from him, it's almost an interesting play on that trope of a character of like, if he doesn't, can the movie be interesting if he doesn't have predator on the other side of it? Right. His apartment, that's the scene where they go back to his apartment,
0: which is very funny because it's sort of like making fun of the like, what does James Bond do at home kind of thing? And it's this garden level apartment <laughs> and he's like maybe 10 feet from the freeway and it's just empty except for a closet of his same color red t-shirts and brown leather jackets.
1: And a rack of handguns.
0: <laughs> that's right. That's
1: right. What is your favorite movie reference made in this movie? Bonus points, if it's also a plot point.
0: I think that F. Murray Abraham is very funny in this movie. Damn it! (laughs) As this slightly too friendly FBI co-worker to Jack Slater, who, of course, Danny recognizes from Amadeus, and he's just like, don't trust him, he killed Mozart. Um, But it's unclear whether Mozart exists in the Jack Slater universe, because... Then Arnold is, like, talking to his FBI friend. He's like, he says you killed Mozart. And the guy's like, Mo who? Mozart? No, I don't remember that. F. Mary Abraham is like... I have really, really enjoyed him on Mythic Quest. I I think he is very game to do comedy. And he's great in this. For 10 seconds.
1: I will then have to pick uh, Ian McKellen coming out of 7th Seal to be the Grim Reaper to Arnold who gets shot and almost killed in the real world.
0: Right, right. I think also credit must be giving to uh, Frank McRae, who plays the the screaming um, police boss. He's basically making fun of his own character from 48 Hours, the like, you know, the give me your badge and gun, you guys destroyed half a downtown kind of character. Yep. But. He's doing the same bit that he does in the Loaded Weapon 1 spoof, which comes out the same year as this, and he's making fun of himself in both. But I actually think, I don't understand how he does the, like, gibberish screaming, which is, like, half unintelligible, but then half just sort of, like... Mad Libby, my boss, is mad nonsense. At one point, he yells, I got the California Raisins up the Diary of Anne Frank 2 and Cartwheels in a candy factory out here, and you're telling me that, like... <laughs> I don't know how Frank McRae does that. That's incredible. Yeah.
1: I also think a really compelling sequence in this movie is when they are at the movie premiere, just sort of sort of showing off the Very star fun. power that they were able to get for one day of shooting or whatever, including but not limited to Maria Shriver, as mentioned, uh, Jim Belushi, our our new buddy is Jean Claude Van Damme. Um, who else is there? Noonan as himself.
0: Yes, double he is. Noonan.
1: Chevy Chase That's gets right. bumped into and knocked over.
0: Incredible. My big criticism of this movie would be um, that it overestimates how much, quote-unquote, straight-ahead action we really need. Like, And I don't quite know where this comes from. I might lay it at McTiernan's feet um, in terms of just him being like, but so here I just go ahead and do a normal john mctiernan action movie set piece right where the camera sweeps over the full la block and then we we blow a bunch of shit up right and part of it's him and i think part of it's the fact that just the studio did not want this to be a straight ahead comedy and i think it would be better if it was um it's just at 210 it's too long
1: oh it's definitely too long The
0: italian the mob family on top of the roof that shit goes on forever ever. And I think the movie just misjudges the like... I, I think the temptation not to want to do a spoof is like, well, then we don't have anything real or we don't have anything sort of weighty or we don't have the... we don't have kind of the glitzy element. And I I think that's a miscalculation. I think you you have Arnold Schwarzenegger, and that's all you need. When he is stomping on cars in the beginning of the movie and the movie of Jack Slater 3, that entrance, while exaggerated, basically gave me the same rush as the beginning of like T2 or something. Like You've got the guy, and you've got the guy who's willing to do his imposing, unflappable thing in the movie. So just lean on him and shorten this puppy by half an hour. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I think that the sequence in the daughter's house where they, like, shoot the house to shit and then there's, like, the the um, car chase that follows it, like, that's enough that you don't need what is essentially, like, the cold open of uh, Casino Royale where they're, like, on that construction site with the farty guy. Like, that's enough right. to show you how ridiculous the sequence can be. And then, yeah, after that sequence, just cut to dance getting the magic movie ticket and then going into the real world to actually try out his movie skills. Cause a real movie characters
0: into the real world is the better half. In my opinion,
1: would you agree with that? Instead of being somebody in a new world, I think it's more interesting to have like a character with almost superpowers uh, because they like know how to game the system by movie logic or whatever.
0: And it's a little, it's edgy and weird as dance is like killing people in New York. And he's like, why is no Great one com- coming to help this person? And then he's like announcing in that booming, uh, you know, British theater voice, like, I've shot a man and I did it on purpose. And then nobody right. comes to assist. Yeah, somebody even tells him to be quiet. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's way better because we have, I mean, we have seen it before in something like Purple Rose of Cairo, but like we haven't seen that specific thing before where, versus when Danny is in the action movie. The whole point is that we've all seen this action movie 80 times. So like right. there's only so much real estate in there. There's only so much oxygen in that world. Yeah, why don't we tell people how we rate movies on this show and then we'll rate last action here. On Be Real, we rate movies in two categories, a good or bad for technical quality and a good or bad for watchability. So what are the four possible ratings? I don't care.
1: Good, good movies are both well-made and highly entertaining. The Fugitive, Parasite, Rear Window, or The Hunt for Red October. Once more, we play our dangerous game.
0: Good, bad movies are often impressive technically, but also tough sits. Historical melodramas like The Mission, horror movies too scary or gross to rewatch, or self-serious musicals like Yentl. Papa,
1: can you hear me? Conversely, bad good movies are highly flawed but still gratifying. Nonsensical hangouts like Hot Tub Time Machine or ludicrously fun action fare like Twister or Stargate. In my regards to King Todd, asshole. Bad bad
0: movies are neither well-made nor entertaining. Examples we've covered unfortunately include Garden State, Fifty Shades of Grey, and Attack of the Clones. I'm deeply sorry, master. Got all that? Time for a rating.
1: What are you going to say, Chance? Bad good?
0: that is what i'm going to say. Um yeah, i th- i think you can't help it just goes it just goes on too long for me. And i felt this both of the times that i have watched it and i think that it's cleverness. It is very very clever in moments. Like even, you know, i love when Arnold is just kind of like looking around for his own premiere at the end of like i got to go save the day and Danny's like there's so many theaters in this town. Like where are you going to look and he's just like I, I, normally, I don't have to look. In my world, the bad guys just like sort of show up and kidnap me <laughs> to move the plot <laughs> along. But I think the cleverness gets buried and larded down. Um, I don't think that makes it. That is more of a watch thing, but I think there is so there are so many funny incidental things. It's easy to return to. I'm gonna go bad. Good.
1: I don't know. This is movie is just so like much like a movie. Up- movie palace movie house with its intricate ornate design like this movie like even them going into the police station and like seeing all these famous movie cops um like uh what's the guy from terminator 2 the robert patrick. guy robert patrick 000, yeah like having those touch points of you know late 20th century cinema in there to sort of say that all these guys hang out in one scene. i agree that they like if they spent the money on all those costumes and all that licensing, they should have spent more time, like having fun with it instead of cutting back to a car chase that we've seen or a crane chase that we've seen a thousand times. But I still think that there's something fantastic about this movie in its excess and in its rewatch factor. Uh, so I think this one, sure, a little bloated. Aren't we all after COVID-19? Uh, I think this one is a good, good.
0: That's fine. Did you have that snobby moment where uh, Sharon Stone's Catherine Chamell from Basic Instinct was at the police station and you were like, um, that was San
1: Francisco. (laughs) Because I had that moment. (laughs) That's so funny. I did, but I should (laughs) have. You should have. All right. Where to next, my friend? 1958, an alien life form consumes everything in its path as it grows and grows.
0: Noah, how would you describe the blob if you weren't allowed to say blob? Because that's a challenge for some of the people in this movie.
1: Yeah, is the blob is is the word blob ever said in this film?
0: I don't believe so. My favorite is when Steve McQueen is trying to describe it to Lieutenant Dave, and he's just like, "It's some sort of ah, some sort of mass." <laughs> oh man
1: yeah and then he just settles on it's a monster there's like a monster yeah. on the loose
0: oh so how badly did he want to say blob in that moment
1: this is one of those like old paramount b movies that it's only like 72 minutes long or something
0: it's on hbo max by the way
1: yeah sorry 86 it's an hour 26 but i mean compared to the fucking majestic at least uh, oh. this one feels merciful sure sure
0: But yeah, I mean, Um, I think
1: the synopsis kind of sets it up. We're in this like idyllic American town and we start with our horny young man protagonist who is just sitting in a car. It's Steve McQueen. Um, The oldest teenager you've ever seen. Yeah. He's like a 36 year old teenager or something.
0: I mean, many 29 year old actors have played teenagers before, but not many who've like smoked as much and been out in the sun as long as Steve McQueen, who looks about 36 in this movie.
1: He, def- he definitely looks like he's in his early thirties, uh, which is really funny because then they have to like age up all the adults. So Dave's like in his eighties. <laughs> it's
0: not true, but I know what you're saying.
1: It is not true, but he's like, he- they definitely grade his hair. Cause it looks kind of sure. shiny. Mm -hmm. Anyway, uh, it's Anita Anita Carso. I don't know. As Jane. As Jane. Is that a famous actress? I don't think so. It kind of looks like... um, What's her name from Requiem for a Dream? Ellen Burstyn. It looks like a young Ellen Burstyn. Sure. Uh, She did a bunch of TV. She was
0: on Andy Griffith and Matlock. Gunsmoke? Any number of other Andy Griffith. Shows (laughs) A lot of gun smoke For Um
1: I think her biggest sin in this one Is not actually seeing the blob Until it's too late Sure (laughs) Because that's the weird construction Of this movie and you texted me about it Is this movie hinges on the premise that If a teenager says something Teenagers are so full of shit That (laughs) society would not believe them Dave. Doc Hallen's been killed. Doc Hallen? What happened? It's over at his place. you got to come now. Now, wait a minute, Steve. Tell us what happened. Well, I'm trying to tell you. Now, this thing had killed the Doc. What was it? Stop with it, kid. Well, it's kind of like a... It's kind of like a mass that keeps getting bigger and bigger.
0: Every one of you watching this screen, look out. Because soon, very soon, the most horrifying monster menace ever conceived will be oozing into this theater.
1: I think the funniest, to that point, I think the funniest part of this movie is when they're trying to explain why, like, the second police officer is, like, so anti-teenager. And, like, Sheriff Dave is like, well, they did kill his wife. And then they, like, move on (laughs) to something else. He, he says something like, something? yeah, he's like, well, they did smack into his wife on the interstate. I think, like, the implication is that, like, some teen drivers, like, caused an accident that killed his wife. And then it's <laughs> some great mystery why this guy. And then he goes into this kind of, like, PTSD monologue where it's like, they're testing me because of the war. <laughs> yeah.
0: So stepping back for a second. So this would be in the wave of kind of uh, atomic age uh, sci-fi B movies, as you said, where the the blob is something that just arrives from another planet and it mutates and morphs as it kind of absorbs more and more. It grows and grows. People and life forms. Sure, yeah, it amasses things. Um, Yeah, I love... People having and not having the language to describe what the blob is doing is a funny element of this movie where the doctor's like... Oh, my God, this thing's nearly assimilated his entire arm. And I was like, wow, you really <laughs> you really had the right verb for that, didn't you, Doc?
1: Yeah, well, he's horrified. And I think the only thing that really makes this pretty campy movie work is how much the, the supporting cast is kind of buying into just the horror of looking at this, what appears to just be a lot of raspberry jelly. Right. Which I would argue is not that scary. I mean, yes, if, you know, a ton of raspberry jelly was moving towards me fairly quickly. But, like, they just, like, they can't even look at it. It's so right. horrifying.
0: Um, I think the blob looks pretty tasty, personally.
1: Much tastier than the, than the 88 blob. We need as much toast as you can find.
0: <laughs> It hates to be spread out and eaten by me. <laughs> it's better served cold. <laughs> We've been doing, uh, Albanese have become our new gas station treat. And this, this blob looks what like is that? Albanese. Oh, it's just a brand of gummy bear slash worm.
1: Oh, interesting. I, they kind of remind the blob kind of reminded me of these, like, these Passover fruit slices that oh, like sure. they're left out in the sideboard too long—they kind of like <laughs> crawl towards the door.
0: Yeah. <laughs> it's funny. So, I campy is a is definitely an operative word with this movie. Um, the The camp is something that the audience would bring to it, though. I, the movie is playing it incredibly, incredibly straight. Like it, oh, is, yeah. just, it is just the paradigmatic suburban fifties white pro-authority um kind of like but can these kids get their act together and do the right thing sort of like nobody in the movie is goofing off or playing it big i don't think and frankly steve mcqueen um the way he's like tugging at the end of his like long shirt sleeves he looks like he would rather be like shipped to siberia than be in this movie any longer he i think he looks like he's having a
1: terrible time yeah he really doesn't appear to be happy to be there uh and it's unclear if that's a performance or that's just like his state of mind. He looks like in
0: this might be a deep cut, but when Idris Alba briefly becomes the manager of Dunder Mifflin in like season five of The Office and he makes Dwight wear long sleeves, and Dwight's like, it's a fucking straitjacket. jacket! I can't get it on! <laughs> and that's like how Steve McQueen is dealing with his costuming in this movie.
1: That is incredible. Because um, we know we can have fun. You know, Bullet, he's having fun. Even Towering Inferno, the fact that he's not in that Inferno, I think he loves. Sure.
0: So let's talk about why we picked this. This would be our kind of movie theater as incidental plot. But also, it's a pretty iconic um, scene in terms of like horror movie, you know, Something horrible happening while kids watch a horror movie, which is a common occurrence in the in the last century of horror movies. So they're they're all gathered round at the theater on a Saturday night, and I think they're watching a, a movie called uh, Dementia, which was then recut and, and re released as uh, as Daughter of Horror. And you see, there's a Bella Lugosi movie, which would have been uh, Mother Riley meets the Vampire for all my for all my Bella heads out there. That's also on the marquee. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Incredible. Yeah, well, I think it definitely is intentional that the moment at which because like the whole tension of the first two thirds of this movie are that the adults don't believe the teenagers that there's a blob eating things and people around the town. But the moment at which it becomes real and then they have to figure out how to fight it is when it overtakes a movie theater. And right. that feels sort of by design. You know, this idea that people would come screaming out of something that they've gone in for for entertainment's sake to realize that it's, it's real and it's in the world. Um, and it's, it's coming down the street.
0: Yeah. And I mean, historically, too, like where are our gathering spaces for a healthy small town like where would people be on down the bijou theater right (laughs) exactly exactly and you know that's kind of what what i was thinking about too when i went on this like reporting tour of rural nebraska in like 2014 and the number of small towns you could really take the temperature of like where the town was at in terms of its own revitalization and sense of itself by like how had they treated its old school theater that was like built in the 30s and had it been kept up or had the sort of agricultural crises of the 70s and 80s just like shuttered that thing forever. And it was real hit or miss depending on the town. And you could really feel like, was there a healthy open theater? Because that town was doing okay. And if it was the other way, that town wasn't. Um, And I think that's what's happening in, in, in whatever Pennsylvania little town this is.
1: What I love about this movie too is that it's an accidental climate change horror movie and is it's also kind of a sequel to the thing. Um, right. Well it's like a it's like an
0: it's always in Sunny in Philadelphia title card at the end where they ship the blob. The end
1: to... question mark? <laughs> <laughs> no, but they, they drop the... off Yeah. Yeah, they ship the blob, no spoilers here, but they, they ship the blob to Antarctica. To be on the ice Arctic. Oh the Arctic
0: North yeah And Steve, Mc- cold. Steve McQueen's last line of the movie is just like It's not dead is it And Lieutenant Dave's like no no But we're gonna get rid of the thing And Steve McQueen's like well As long as the Arctic stays cold And then <laughs> the credits roll And you know us here in 2021 It's a bit of an oh shit moment Yeah,
1: yeah in 20 years you'll be able to go visit the blob uh, On your next Caribbean vacation Up in the North Pole if I have a criticism of this movie, it has
0: nothing to do with The Blob. I like The Blob. I think that, you know, I, I it doesn't bother me how silly and gelatinous it looks. I could have gone for 400% more Blob, frankly. What bothers me about this movie is that it is... Probably an hour and five minutes Of just like not very good actors Asking really inane questions Like you kids see a dog run by here Or did you hear back from that doctor Over in Wilsonville yet Um, it's Just like really <laughs> extraneous plot stuff About that will maybe get us a little closer To the kids being believed about the blob But
1: right. not a lot of blob yeah, it's a lot of convoluted questions followed up by like a lot of theories that are not based in any data points that the movie like no. when when Officer Burt's like, oh, well, the room, the door's locked and the windows shut. The kids must have used string to close it up. <laughs> it's like, what? That's, that's, why? And then they Let's, came and ran and found you. Why? To show you that they could do it? Yeah. Come on. Some
0: f- funny, very funny He's just to bitter me. That How? they
1: killed his wife.
0: Sure and rest in peace Mrs. Burt Sorry that you were Splattered out on the highway Like some sort of mass um, She looks like a oh, Pudding <laughs> An ooze She's an ooze uh, Very funny to me How much of the dialogue Is the cops just being like Well can we just want uh, just put this puzzle Together tomorrow It's like the cops are so excited To call it a night Which is funny A lot of the movie is completely unironic uh, Men A woman being like hey is that the blob And the man's like calm down Don't look at it calm down don't ask any more questions
1: (laughs) Right let me manhandle You into the freezer real quick Yes Um, Yeah I think while this movie is also a Climate change film it's also a pretty Strong defund the police Argument
0: The police are very bad in this movie
1: although it is the the
0: kids have a conversation after they've been like pulled over for drag racing backward, where they're like, you know, Steve, police ain't so bad. We're just trying to keep order around town. <laughs> it's like okay,
1: right? But then I would say that Steve McQueen kind of throws a wrench into the system where he's like, we tried to go through normal channels. Now we just have to honk <laughs> our horns and set off the <laughs> air raid siren ourselves.
0: Do you want to do forty minutes on? The Blob as McCarthyism, and then I'll do 40 on The Blob as communism, and then we'll see who is more believable.
1: The only thing that this movie is lacking is a 30-minute sequence in which The Blob testifies in front of Congress. (laughs) Of course, I
0: assimilated your wives and dogs, but is this not a democracy?
1: Doesn't the First Amendment allow me the right to Suck up people into my mass.
0: And you, blah 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 ban. How dare you talk to me that way? Yeah, blah 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 blah. <laughs> Bob Balaban's in the next film. Um <laughs> Um The blob is not terrible. I kinda wish Ooh. it was maybe more terrible. To maybe yeah, get us... To get us to a bad good more comfortably, I'm afraid by our rating system, Noah,
1: that the blob might be bad bad. Um, yeah, yeah, I had the feeling that a lot of the characters had when the blob was rushing towards them. At what speed? Unclear. Uh, but that this thing was this thing was it was coming and it was bad. Um, I think bad bad. Right.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean. I could all I could go for more kills. I, there did seem to be that funny movie morality where like there are two mechanics are working on a car late, and the one who's just like, "I'm the drunk mechanic and I don't like my wife," and the other guy's like, "All right, I'll see you on Monday, Joe." <laughs> <You're> <laughs> like, <he's> the, <laughs> the drunk mechanic who doesn't like his wife is the one who gets blobbed, and I could have gone for more of that, you know. But just so yes. much of people talking and being like, "You don't believe me that there's a blob," and it's like, "Well, hold on, son, I believe you." It's just you know. I'm not sure there's Why a Why would I make
1: up something like that, dad? Pop? Oh my god. Yeah, it it really does kind of go all in on like the old man, the old timer getting blobbed at the beginning and then is like his arm kind of looking like a like a dinosaur you put in a thing of water that blows up. I think um, that's a pretty
0: cool effect to be honest. And I think it's just a pretty like,
1: cool effects, but yeah. there really aren't any other like blob on human body horror sfx to speak of
0: you want to talk about the majestic do i ever no would it surprise you to know that this we watched the jim carrey testifying before the joe mccarthy kangaroo court we watched that scene in ninth grade history class to learn about mccarthyism
1: i think that just speaks to your midwestern public school education
0: well what did you watch on the east coast Trumbo?
1: Yeah, probably Trumbo. Uh, <laughs> no chance. Trumbo wouldn't be released for another 10 years.
0: So you must have just watched Spartacus then. what did you? How did you learn about The Blacklist?
1: Oh, The Blacklist. Interesting. Um, good night and good luck. Ah, okay. That came out while I was in high school. There you go. Went to New York to see it in a movie house.
0: One of these movie houses?
1: One of these odd houses they're talking about. <laughs>
0: Let's. Why don't we start here? Why don't we start with Frank Darabont and his three movie run from Shawshank in '94 to Green Mile in '99 to The Majestic. Until he backed in up the dump
1: truck of money that was The Walking Dead.
0: Yeah, I mean, good for him. But doesn't this movie feels like the long-winded American folk epic that is sort of like those other two in a way? But he's, running out, he's run out of Stephen King to adapt, and he's moved on to, I want to get this right, his high school friend, Michael
1: Sloan. <laughs> oh, yeah, creator of the TNT hit original series, uh, Mob City.
0: He's really trying to do the same thing at the same clip as he did with Shawshank and Green Mile, but I... <laughs> It's, Tell this a the story end. very, very slowly. This is the end of it, for sure. Yeah, until, like, aren't all these movies
1: set in the 50s, basically? Uh, yes. Yeah, but this one
0: is not written by Stephen King.
1: The Majestic, 2001. In 1951, 50 years earlier, a blacklisted Hollywood writer gets into a car accident, loses his memory, and settles down in a small town where he's mistaken for a long lost son. Peter Appleton has lost his way. What in the hell happened to you, son? Not exactly sure. In a place he's never been.
0: Have you ever been in here before? It's just that you look sort of
1: familiar. I said the same thing with no memory of his past. You have no idea who you are or how you got here? Blank. He will be mistaken for someone he never knew.
0: It's Luke. <laughs> <Look at him. laughs> Great to have you back, sir. Luke, having you back among us was like a miracle.
1: Do you remember me? No, but I'll sure try. Tell me about this Appleton. His agent reported him missing last night. Nobody's heard from him in four or five days. You find him, gentlemen, living or dead. From the director of the Shawshank Redemption and the Green Mile. I'm trying to make up my own mind about you being Luke. We were in love, weren't we?
0: You've got to remember that. You've got to.
1: I don't. Let me ask you this, Chance. If you were to create a film about... In, in let's say in instead the 1950s, where someone someone presumably died in World War II, which happened nine years earlier. Uh, and that person's name had to be uttered by literally every character in every line that they had in the whole film. Wouldn't you make it something less stupid than Luke? herb? herb would be good <laughs> by- Byron? Yeah, Byron's good. Mank, maybe? Luke just feels like a product of the early 2000s. Like, Luke is a character on the OC. Luke is not a character in the Frank Darabont historical fiction, The Majestic.
0: Yeah, I'm with you. I hear that. I mean, biblical name, but I'm with you.
1: Then call him Lucas. Sure. Okay.
0: Did you like my welcome to Lawson bitch joke? Uh... (laughs) I. Because I felt like I just... I missed it over the sound of my own voice. <laughs> well, I shouldn't do my best material underneath your good points. Yeah, mumbling. Um... <laughs> so Jim Carrey is is Peter, the, the screenwriter. Um, and he is right in the sweet spot here, or perhaps not such a sweet spot, of really trying to make a... Fuck ton of movie with or fuck ton of money with broad comedies and then being like no 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 no, but I can be serious. So he's jumping back and forth here between like, uh, Truman Show and Liar Liar and Me Myself and Irene and Man on the Moon and uh, Bruce Almighty in this movie kind of thing.
1: It's incredible to me that he. that he does this movie and then he does Bruce Almighty two years later but in this movie he's playing late 20s, right? Because like 18 year old goes to war dies nine years later he's got to be like in his late 20s and then in Bruce Almighty he's like 42 Right
0: He's He's like late 30s early
1: 40s Yeah, he is age appropriate all of a sudden uh, which is so interesting because it feels like a movie that was made like a decade later but in fact only two years
0: Let's Let's endeavor to assess this Jim Carrey performance a little bit, because I think you and I have both spoken very lovingly of his more serious performances in Eternal Sunshine and Truman Show. Um, and this one does not work for me in the same way. What is going on here, Noah?
1: I don't know. Uh, I, I have the same issue as you do, because it's like a little bit, truman show but he like never gets to do the like crazy everyone around me is acting normal but it's not normal like paranoid schizophrenic thing but that isn't that sitting right there
0: like you were texting me last night like all the different things this movie could be um what if this movie just leaned into more like the artificiality of a town That's looking for a dead hero that thinks he's this guy and he's this sort of like prodigious screenplay writer who can just kind of like write his way into matchmaking people in the town and matching himself up with widows and updating the town in his full cinematic uh, imaginary movie glory. Like he so easily could lean into more Jim Carrey things here.
1: Yes, this movie could make so many more interesting choices, Uh, whereas like, I think there's a better movie where, yeah, same setup, blacklisted writer, goes on a drive drunk, crashes, loses his memory for maybe 36 hours, and in that time is embraced by the town. He then remembers who he is, but continues to play along with it, making that choice that I am duping these people into believing that I am this prodigal son. Uh, And then it makes it a more complicated film. And then I think, too, what I have a problem with in this film is that there's really no pushback from the whole town. Like, this whole town just is just like, yep, this guy who looks kind of like this picture of this guy from (laughs) nine years ago who's dead, uh, that's fine. He's him now. And really only one guy is sort of, like, muttering under his breath, like, it's probably not him. Yeah. But other than that... Like I think a more interesting film like has a contingent of people who are like you're nuts, and then there's like that battle between people who are like have clear eyes about them but don't want to believe this thing that is in fact causing good stuff I would say net ha- to happen in this town, uh, but it's a lie. And I think that's a more interesting movie about the the way in the 80s and 90s we look back to the 50s and 60s as like a wow, wasn't it great? Like let's try to go back to that, uh, yeah. with our economic policy, but then you have a movie that's kind of filled with this thing of like it's all propped up on a lie. Like maybe it felt good for the upper middle class, but it's all a lie.
0: Right. Yeah. Um, it becomes. But yeah, Jim
1: Carrey doesn't get to scream either, and that's a that's a disappointment.
0: And if you if you reworked it that way, like there's this great moment. In the movie that's kind of understated Where the town's most talented musician Is this guy Spencer Who plays like big band clarinet At all the things And people keep saying to Jim Carrey Like Luke, we think you're Luke yeah, You know, that was your clarinet But, uh um, you know, you weren't too good at it And he's just like So I gave it to Spencer Your screenwriting instincts Are filling in these narratives of the town um, Right Because life isn't that complicated and like this is where his stories come from um and there's a moment in the movie that reminded me of you too, Noah, where uh peter the jim carrey character is is sort of um, cavorting around with uh laurie holden who plays adele um who is luke's widow and now she's like are you luke should we get back together she's not a
1: widow she's his high school girlfriend oh they were never married no, he was 18 when he left. He hasn't. She has Nobody's okay. seen him since high People school. People got married
0: at 18 in 1944. Whatever. They but- did not
1: get married. She just like only held a candle for him, and then he died at 18, and then she just like never had an adult romantic. She's life. been not
0: sitting under the apple tree with anyone else but he for nine years.
1: Well, she's been going to law school. That's been keeping her busy. That's true. A thing that doesn't come into play in a movie that has a courtroom scene as its climax. Well, Dare she I gives I remind him
0: a you. copy of the Constitution. That's law.
1: Yeah, she gives her like the, it's like what they give you when you get bar mitzvah. They give you like the little book as a as a way to keep it. Well, that's what they do when you get out of law school. They give you a copy of the, a leather bound copy of the constitution.
0: When she handed him a gift on his way to go testify and he was like holding it in his hands. I'm like, if this is a copy of the Bill of Rights, I'm going to lose my fucking mind. Um, it, and lo, it, and low, it was, wasn't
1: just the Bill of Rights. It was the entire constitution.
0: All 25 or whatever exists, however many existed in the early 50s. Um, It might have been 27 I don't know So this moment where they're kind of like Warming back up to each other He was talking about I think Life and Times of Emile Zola And she's like Well you remember movies But you don't remember your own life And I was like That's the thesis of this podcast Thank you for bringing it up Adele Um, (laughs) There's that (laughs) But but again I remember all my trauma uh, uh, Well um, But again there's that thing of like How about this guy Who's like, religion is movies, who's, like, filling in the blanks of this world because of his obsession with his profession. And instead, The Majestic, as I said at the top, falls much more into the, like, movies as ambiance kind of um, plot thing. Because the fact that he, Luke's dad, played by Martin Landau, owns a theater called The Majestic um, that they, like, fix up and gets back on his feet is sort of important because he was a screenwriter and it ultimately shows the movie that he wrote that jogs his memory. But, like, that didn't have it, doesn't have that much to do with going, it's closer to the blob than it is to Last Action Hero,
1: yes. And, of course, the contract that you sign going into this movie is that you're going to be treated to an HGTV montage of them fixing up. The bombed out movie theater, uh, which I would say is pretty good. I thought it could have been better. You know, there's like, oh, they like mess with the fuse box and at first it explodes and then they fix it and it's beautiful. And they move some chairs around and they paint a few things and they like hang up the screen from an old thing that's on top of some gift from Roosevelt or something. Is that supposed to be Luke? Unclear. Um, but Yeah. I would say it definitely loses points in my book for not being a more satisfying renovation film.
0: What what were you looking for? What did you you wanted like less testifying carpet? in front
1: of Bob Balaban <laughs> and what's his fucking name? Hal Holbrook. And Hal Holbrook and more replacing bulbs like in lights? more like restocking the candy, maybe like installing a new popcorn machine and having it pop for the first time. That'd be nice. These are all options. Sure.
0: The fact, by the way, the fact that Hal Holbrook and Martin Landau and James Whitmore are all in the same movie is like really like the identical Spider-Man meme like in triplicate. Of this is, There's just so many white-haired 80-year-old character actors. Like this movie really belongs in a nursing home.
1: It's almost like they sign them all up and they kind of like fit them into the parts that they oh were like God. alive to play. It's like sure. if Hal Holbrook doesn't make it to the Supreme Court scenes, we'll put Martin Landau there and then we'll shift Balaban over to the dad. They all easily could have played.
0: But Whitmore, not Balaban. Are you with me? Brooks from Shawshank?
1: Oh. Yeah, easily Whitmore could have played like the, the Landau part. Even the Doctor. David Ogden Steers, he could have been anyone. He definitely could have been like a bastard politician, for sure. I wish this movie was a little bit more state and main. Like these country bumpkins, like don't, like they're so stupid. Like there's something like offensive by how stupid and gullible this town that's like lost. Like a bunch of people died. They don't recognize people and you're supposed to think that the trauma of losing like 60 young men nine years earlier has left this town in like arrested development waiting for some messianic character to show up and lo, Jim Carrey out of the water uh, to save them all. But like that's insane to me. Just the premise of that is insane without a little bit more like intention without someone trying to pull the wool and then what I think is even more bizarre is the ending, which I think we can spoil, where he like shows back up to the town and not only has the girl he accidentally duped. What are yeah. you saying with your hand gestures?
0: I was clapping like the people of Lawson do for Peter.
1: Oh, yes. The woman who was accidentally duped into, like, perhaps having a sexual relationship with this stranger is not only is she there, but the whole town is like, you're as good as Luke was. We'll take you anyway. We don't care who you are. You're, you know, you're a famous screenwriter and you were on the television box.
0: <laughs> That's not real entertainment, though, as Martin Landau tells us. It came out after 9-11.
1: It was clearly made before. I I don't know. It's, just, it's like this ode. <laughs> the only way to explain this movie is that it was pre-9-11. Well, you already mentioned. No one uh, would have the arrogance to put out a film like this post-9-11.
0: Nobody fucking cared about making an ode to the silent generation um after 9-11 um again this is just this is again darabont like running just running out of rope here um on this on these two and a half hour like mid-century he'll have the last epics. laugh don't you worry listen he's doing great um i think that i had just had a weird feeling watching this movie too of like i it made me feel like we'd directors by this point had run out of ways to shoot Jim Carrey's face to be honest with you just like he would always seduce people into close-ups and i think like even when he like starts raining and he like looks up at the rain i'm like this is the exact exact same facial expression from truman show um, like we just, the, the movie itself just ran out of ways to make jim carrey interesting it's just the trickliest shit we've ever seen it goes on forever i will say that i watched it um, right at the peak of my vaccine dose two hangover, and I was just kind of like barely awake. Perfect timing, having the chills, and I couldn't even. And I, I had an okay time. Um, but if I was like you know checking, had an email to check, um, two hours before or after, I would have been so mad about the two and a half hour runtime. I can only imagine what you went through.
1: Yeah. Well, I watched the first two hours of this film and then someone shouts from off screen, you got to testify in front of Congress. And I was like, 36 minutes still to go. I'm going to pick this up in the morning. And that's what I did. And it was fine. It's the way it should. That's the natural intermission place.
0: I do want to give props for um, Sand Pirates of the Sahara, the movie that Peter Appleton has written that is comes on like, you know, like slow third run distribution Up the up the pch to this To this town of Lawson, and eventually jogs his memory Um it's uh it's cut exactly Like an errol flynn movie would Have looked with like bruce Campbell as the swashbuckling European and and cliff curtis as like the orientalized chic. Um and <laughs> it's uh, in terms of like uh you know spoofs of movies in movies of golden age Hollywood it looks just perfect the way the actors are like leaping into the light it's beautifully done I'm glad we get to see it twice
1: yeah what's what's sort of funny about this movie is the amount of money it clearly has at its disposal like it can do things like that really really well um but then again like You know, you don't need to build Lawson. You need to give us a better script and perhaps a better cast. Um, A, I love that the book-ending scenes where you hear the voices of the Hollywood executives, but you don't see them, are like Sidney Pollock and Rob Reiner. Are they? And Gary Marshall. Um, That's
0: funny. I like that, too.
1: But what's the name of the the magical black guy who lives in the theater and has been waiting nine years for his pocket watch.
0: Oh, my God. The, char- the With the character's name, I will never forget because it's Emmett Smith, which <laughs> <laughs> that would be like if you put out a, a movie in 2001 called The Majestic, and they're like, what's the only black character's name? Well, his name is Scotty Pippen. Um, <laughs> his name's Michael Jordan. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Emmett Smith, come on. He had, like, just run
1: for 1,600 yards. Incredible. Yeah, there's something maybe, like, racially oh, problematic about yeah. Emmett Smith.
0: Um, Jerry Black is the actor. Um, yeah, and that, again, that felt like a just a holdover of the 90s reminiscing with rose-colored glasses on the 50s. Like, yeah, there's one black guy in town. He loved it.
1: He <laughs> <laughs> had a great, great damn time. Uh, <laughs> oh, sweet That's incredible. Jesus. <laughs> um,
0: I get what it's doing. It's trying to do like Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. For... But that's
1: the worst part of
0: it, right? Well, I mean, I, just watch Mr. Smith Goes to Washington if you if you want to watch that. This is two and a half hours of. I, I think it was Kenneth Turan at the L.A. Times had a takedown I loved in from his review at the time, where it was like, this movie couldn't be more simple-minded if it tried,
1: and that. Is
0: yes. that's it? That's it. Even it's like one even down- Jim
1: Carrey stuttering speech ended communism,
0: right? And it's uh, and it's pol- so-called political convictions are just garbled nonsense. The blacklist
1: like, wasn't great, <laughs> but it was easy to get out of if you just held to your principles.
0: Blacklist wasn't great. Fifties mostly were. Do you believe that? <laughs> uh, even the the line that really infuriated me, even in the midst of my. Uh, vaccine hangover was uh, Adele is like she's like so are you really a communist and he was like no I don't think so and she's like yeah only a dyed in the wool capitalist could have gotten the majestic back up and running what did he do to get the majestic back up and running he went to the town central government and asked the collective to donate goods and labor it has nothing to fucking do with capitalism it was a socialist
1: ask on his part wow what a red movie this is
0: yeah, and I would be, of course, fine with that. Just know what you are, the Majestic. This movie is uh, I I had an okay time watching it in a daze, but like by in our podcast conversation, it's completely bad bad.
1: No, it's dreadful. Um It's so bad that I'm surprised that people like conservative people don't use it to like make fun of liberals because it's like just <laughs> postures as <laughs> such like like a simple-minded yeah i don't that's even true. know
0: it's Feel like free. yeah what is
1: this the majestic if someone starts like prattling on about like socialized healthcare, care what is this the majestic <laughs> <laughs> that's what i'm going to start saying to people uh, and see what what they make of that interesting this is an uh, unquestionable bad bad this is maybe uh bottom 10 on the podcast for me
0: wow majestic is a very It's just so
1: boring. it's just such a waste it's so boring the movie makes no choices no characters really have any agency so there's no tension and there's no like oh when is he going to get exposed by not uh you know these these anonymous fbi agents who we know nothing about great
0: but didn't it just make you want to go to the picture sonny cagney and stewart <laughs> Well, my friend, I hope that a good looking movie gets you back into a theater soon and you, you go for your, what's your, Mike and Ike's? What's your go-to candy?
1: Well, now that Sour Jacks have been discontinued, I uh, have to settle on the the mix of Sour Patch Kids and Raisinets. And you're always good for a ginger ale at the theater. Oh, hell Yeah. Like a big I, one from those like crazy machines that they have now where you like have to play with the touch screen to get there. Wow. Even like a little bit of like ginger ale with some lime in it. My God.
0: That thing could probably take your fucking body temperature and then dispense your ginger ale according to your health.
1: It's like you have COVID. No ginger ale for you. <laughs> and of course, uh, large popcorn, no gross butter.
0: I'm excited to go back to the Hollywood Theater and get a Narragansett Tallboy. Now, ask me, do I really like Narragansett? No, but does it make me feel like Captain Quint when I drink it? Yeah.
1: So that's my go-to. Do you like crush the can when you're done with it and throw it, and on everybody the
0: floor? gets so mad at me that I do that? Quiet and back. Right. Exactly. But it's yeah, mostly I, I miss
1: the Alamo Draft House breakfast burrito, when Lucy oh and I would go on a God. Sunday morning. Yeah, they're like 17 or $18, but God damn it, you're at the movies.
0: God damn it, you're at the movies. That's the theme of this category. Um, it's a pleasure to be back, one and all. Um, we'll be talking to you again, I think, in under two weeks. Uh, for the 25th anniversary of The Rock, we're going to talk about the best ever Alcatraz movies, so you can start watching that right now, if you like. Uh, Noah, what a pleasure to see you standing in your apartment and to talk to you again.
1: I can't wait. Beware of the blob, it creeps and leaps and glides and slides across the floor, right through the door, and all around the wall,
0: a splotch, a blotch, be careful.